you're writing a story. You have your characters, you have your plot, but what about world building? So, my listening several, what about the basics of world building? There are so many aspects and categories of what makes up world building. What could be categorized as world building? You could go on for days about the different aspects of things that make up any individual world. Really, I'm not exactly hurting for topics here. But for simplicity's sake, I'm going to introduce this whole basics of world building thing as two different, not exactly separate, but different categories, the physical and the cultural. In world building, pretty much any time you write, your story takes place somewhere physical. Even if it's not literally physical and it takes place in some kind of astral plane, you've still got a setting that can be interacted with and or observed. So we're going to call this the physical space of world building. Of course, with world building, the physical space I'm talking about isn't just geographic space. It's also the physics, biology, chemistry, all that good stuff. The things that the natural sciences might study. This could be the switching around of certain natural laws, or it could be the changing of geography, or it could be making those things up completely. Sometimes the physical aspects of world building is pretty easy. Take the real world of physics, medicine, and chemistry as we know it, and there you go. Sometimes, though, it gets a little more intense. It gets a little more in-depth. If you're changing physical things, like geography of a place, or certain laws of the natural world, or trying to predict science, then you have to plan it out. That's what we're talking about when I say the physical space in world building. The other aspect, of course, is the cultural space. The cultural space relates to the culture of the people in our stories. These people may not even be humans. You might have to make up an entire culture whole cloth, or you might just work off of what's already there just like you might work off of what's already there with the physical aspects of world building. Go ahead if you're going to do that, but remember, just like you haven't memorized all the physical aspects of our world, you sure haven't mastered all the cultural aspects either. If you're not writing about your own specific perspective, you might be missing something, so it's best to go double check. There are more things about different cultures and our own cultures that we live in than are dreamt of in our philosophies and, you know, all that. Anyway, these two aspects combine into what I like to call the world-building wheel. They both feed into each other as physical space affects cultural space, and cultural space affects physical space. On and on and on and on. For example, you know that the physical space of Hollywood affects the cultural products they create. In Hollywood films, so many people from warm places jump right into cold places and don't even blink an eye, or even really change their clothing. Those warm-weather fools don't even know what cold is. They don't understand. They don't truly understand. I've seen cold. I've seen it. And it sure as hell doesn't look like half-opened coats and no hats in the Arctic Circle. Those fools! <clears throat> For the most obvious way physical stuff influences culture, we'll go again to the weather. You aren't going to have people walking around in five layers of petticoats and undershirts and overdresses and riding pants and jodhpurs and what have you if the coldest it ever gets is 60 degrees Fahrenheit. 
that's 15 degrees Celsius. And you wouldn't be having people in short sleeves and open shirts if it's too cold. You gotta conserve that body heat. Because if you lose that, you start losing toes and other things. There are other aspects, too. The surrounding landscape affects the culture. A landlocked society is going to feel differently about open water than an island society is. A culture that's used to dealing with mountains is going to have different ways than a culture that can see the horizon everywhere. People who live in forests are going to be different than people in tundra and so on and so forth. But likewise, cultural space can have an effect on the physical space. Or am I just imagining the big lake created by Hoover Dam? Humans working together can make big changes on the landscape. And I imagine that would be the same for any species anyone would end up writing about. Dams are only one way we influence physical space. Certain streets and certain cities become freaking wind tunnels that keep blowing my hair right into my mouth. All the time. Every time I'm there. Every day. Deforestation or forestation itself are also things people can do. Of course, these changes culture has on the environment again affect the culture, and so it continues. But let's go a little deeper into what I'm talking about here. Let's look specifically at the physical space of your world building. There are tons of different aspects that can go into that. First of all, we can talk about the absolute size of your world. Or maybe worlds. Maybe your world is as small as a single building. Maybe it's as large as entire star systems, which is a huge spread to cover. For practicality's sake, I'm going to talk about world building on one planet. That way we can all take a closer look at this potential planet through the audio magic of podcasting. So this planet you have, is it Earth standard? Or is the gravity lighter or heavier than what we know is normal? Well, how about the atmosphere? Denser? Less dense? Oxygen rich? No? Which is about as deep as I want to go with regards to planet specifications. We can look at more of those in the future. Continents and oceans. Now that's where you, well, where I can get rather more specific. The very size and shape of bodies of water on land can affect the weather itself, not just the tilt of the axis and the sun's strength. Mountains that are high enough cause rain shadows. The land between them and the ocean might be as green as anything, but as soon as you pass them, you might very well be in a desert. Lakes create their own local weather patterns, especially when there are a lot of them or if they're very big. Lake effect rain and or snow, people. It's a thing. It sure is a thing. Ocean currents have a huge impact on both where fish go and world weather. You think Ireland would be as nice and green as it is if it didn't have that warm Atlantic current keeping it from freezing the heck over every year? <laughs> no, it would be like one of those islands off the coast of Canada, I bet. Ice and snow every year. But because of the warm current, Ireland barely gets any snow. And when it does, everything shuts the heck down. It's called the Emerald Isle for a reason, since the warmth allows certain plants to keep being leafy and everything all year round, and it allows for that freaking tree down the street to start blossoming in mid-January. What the heck? What the heck? It's been... Cal calm down, tree, okay? Calm down. In oceans, however, this looks a little different. While warm currents have what landlubbers perceive as positive effects, they actually don't help out the fishies all that much. In the ocean, currents that are too warm become oceanic deserts. It's the cold currents that bring all the swimming things, big and small, to the door. Or big ol' rock, or island, or what have you. But the point is, these big forces can have very specific impacts, 
and these specific impacts then go ahead and impact the culture of your story. Again, we look at clothes because clothes and weather share a very obvious link. In a place where the temperatures are pretty much the same year round, the people living there wouldn't have much in the way of a varied wardrobe. But in places where you can get freezing winters and really warm summers, those people will need multiple types of clothes just to survive. And then the fashions coming from both of those situations probably would look very different from each other. Of course, clothes are a very easy way of seeing how the physical space influences the cultural space. It tends to be a little harder to see how the cultural space can really influence something as big as the physical space. The answer to that, from what I can see, is time, effort, and cooperation. Of course, here I'm just using basic human history as an example. I'm sure in a world with sorceresses having big magic battles and aliens who can spit acid, this might be a little different. But working off what has been done gives a solid basis for whatever you're going to end up doing in the end. When I mention culture-changing physical aspects of the world, the first thing a lot of people imagine is probably global warming, aka global climate change. And that is an undeniable facet of culture impacting the physical world. But let's talk about less... Uh, immediate examples. Let's talk about domestication and that impact on the natural world, because that's probably one of the best examples I can give on how the cultural space influences and gets influenced by the physical space, since in this case I'm gonna go ahead and define other animals as physical space, since animals don't really participate in human culture. Thousands of years ago, early humans were doing their hunter-gatherer thing hunting things, gathering things, and leaving stuff behind. Stuff that scavengers were attracted to because, hey, free food. Some of those scavengers were wolves. Through a long story that I'll probably get into later, wolves eventually became our best friends, dogs. And as we changed dogs for cooperation with us, they changed us and allowed our culture to change. I've heard some speculation that dogs allowed humans to basically start what we consider, quote, civilization, unquote. I can see where these thoughts are coming from. Dogs aid in so many different tasks, herding, guarding, hunting, heck, even being pack animals. It's easy to see how they've helped or even made things possible. I'm no shepherd, but can you imagine running around after a bunch of sheep and goats trying to keep them all together? Especially before those suckers got fully domesticated. Goats can be willful as heck, even today after thousands of years of domestication. I bet they get everywhere. Sheep too. Dogs are so much faster than us, I'd rather leave it to them. Sure, it would probably be possible to take wild sheep and get them reliant and used to us, but I bet having dogs around made it so much easier. And with things like sheep keeping, our culture changed. Think of all the things you could do with sheep. Its wool makes thread, which can become lots of different things, most notably clothes. Its meat and milk sustain us, and its skin can be used to make drums or leather things like pouches, and maybe vellum for writing. And this stuff just comes from having sheep around, which came from having dogs around, which came from wolves, which came from the wild. So when it gets right down to it, what am I rambling on and on about? I'm rambling about how you gotta know your basics when it comes to world building. Now you don't have to go into super explicit detail with all the where's and why for's when telling your story. Not everyone is fascinated by the way the night soil in your town gets dealt with, but there are some things that you, as a writer, as the master of the world you're building, should know. Here are some. What's the weather like? What are the big landmarks, both natural and unnatural? What are the seasons like? Does your setting have seasons? What's the fashion of your world? And this should reflect on the weather outside, as well as purely cultural factors. 
if you even have weather outside. Maybe you're in space. But even then, the fashion would reflect that because you would have no weather, no rainstorms to be prepared for, no blizzards to bundle up against. How does your culture interact, or not, with the natural world? What does your culture value? What does it regard as unworthy? How are people rewarded? How does your society view its relationship to its surroundings? A lot of those questions are focused on nature and stuff, but the entire point of this episode has been to talk about how nature and culture affect each other. Because they do. They really do. Ask shopkeepers how the weather affects their profits for the day. If it's raining or if it's not does make a difference in the way people make choices, just on a day-to-day -day level. And maybe you're not just thinking about the world building, but the plot too. I mean, one of the three classic plot types is character versus nature. In addition to, of course, character versus character slash society and character versus self. While this podcast isn't specifically about plot structure or anything, it's still something to think about. I mean, some dude versus a whole planet of volcanoes would certainly be something to see. Heck, The Martian was a successful book and movie, and that's literally a guy versus the entire world of Mars. Or some lady crossing through the forest wrestling the deadly local flora and fauna like giant Venus flytraps or a grizzly bear or something. Even if you aren't going to write about a badass who can fight bears with her <laughs> bare hands, it's still important to think about. Like I said last episode, world-building details can make a world real that other aspects of writing just can't. The key to world-building is consistency, and it's way easier to be consistent when you know what you're being consistent about. World-building should augment your plot, and plot should augment your world-building, just like the world-building wheel of cultural space and physical space augment and affect each other. An excellent example of this, I feel, is Diana Wynne-Jones' Dark Lord of Durkholm. Dark Lord of Durkholm, if you're not familiar, takes place in a world separate to our own. In this world, magic exists and is acknowledged and actually codified enough to have a wizard university, as well as supporting dragons, elves, and griffins, and other things. This world is under the thumb of Mr. Chesney, who uses it to host touristy pilgrim parties. Because these pilgrim parties roam all over the continent, they have far-reaching effects on everything. Entire cultures on the continent and kingdoms have turned into tourist economies in a sense. The farming is affected as these pilgrim parties take part in mandated faux battles on top of fertile soil. Populations are shipped around, towns raised and re-raised at the will of Mr. Chesney, who holds the world under his thrall because of the immensely powerful demon he has under his control. An important piece of this world-building and plot is the fact that Mr. Chesney and his pilgrim parties come from a world heavily implied to be our own, so that a layer of separation between the protagonists and the antagonist figure of Mr. Chesney means that he is unreachable 99% of the time. Furthermore, the fact that these pilgrims on the pilgrim parties come from a separate world means that they don't know how this world is supposed to look. They take everything at its face value and just come to have fun playing at defeating an evil dark lord. Yet the consequences of the pilgrim parties are felt at every turn as characters try and get rid of them, and we see how messed up everything has become. Another good example of physical space affecting cultural space can be seen through the Pete B series by Anne McCaffrey and Elizabeth Ann Scarborough. Though it's been more years since I've read any Pedeby book than The Dark Lord of Dirkholm, I can safely say that the planet of Pedeby has excellent examples of what I've been talking about. The planet itself is cold for most of the year, meaning that thick coats, sleds, and ice are a way of life there. But things aren't that simple. 
Pedibi is actually a sentient planet that has the abilities to slowly change the physiology of the beings on its surface, making it easier for them to survive. Not just in an evolutionary sense. The planet can work slowly on organisms, such as to say humans, that have actually arrived on its surface from outside. Of course, Pedibi is an extreme case. We can't all go out and make sentient planets in our stories, nor do we all really want to, but it is a pretty good example of how physical and cultural spaces adapt to each other. Thank you very much, my listeners. I shall see you next time through the audio magic of podcasts.